0: Good morning and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, Don't Hit the Panic Button, Seven More Tips to Fix the Most Common Issues with Invisalign Treatment with Dr. David Galler. Dr. Galler reached the level of Invisalign Elite Advantage provider in 2010 and has been treating Invisalign patients at his practices, practice locations in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Long Island, New York since 2004. Dr. Galler has conducted Invisalign study clubs around the country and was a featured speaker at the 2008-2009 and 2011 Invisalign GP summits. He graduated with honors from the University of Pennsylvania College of Dentistry and completed a general practice residency at the Brooklyn Veterans Administration Hospital. Dr. Galler is president, uh, president of the American Academy of Cosmetic Orthodontics. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the call over to Dr. Galler. Dr. Galler, you now have the floor.
1: Okay, good afternoon Invisalign Nation. This is Dr. David Gallagher coming to you live from beautiful San Antonio. I am actually at the central forum, the GP Invisalign Central Forum for Invisalign uh, here in San Antonio. And just excuse myself for a few minutes to go up to my hotel room to bring you this wonderful webinar. Today's webinar is called Don't Hit the Panic Button Yet, Seven More Tips to fix the most common issues with Invisalign. And basically, this presentation is a sequel to the previous famous presentation in 2007 that was called The Top 10 Things That Go Wrong with Invisalign. And that was a presentation that we had made uh, already about five years ago, and it highlighted a lot of the things that seemed to kind of cause trouble or distractions to dentists while they were doing their Invisalign treatment. And within that, those 10 things, if you're noticing that you're having a problem in your Invisalign or if a tooth is not moving or the Invisalign is not gripping well, and you go down that list of 10 things, you're most likely to find the problem that you have on that list. You know, it's the reason why the tooth is not moving was put on that list. And you just have to go from 1 to 10 and figure out which problem is going on in your case and then troubleshoot and solve Well, a lot has changed with Invisalign since 2007. A lot of the programming has changed. The clinch checks have changed. Uh, We've had G3 and G4 technologies put in. And we wanted to go back and add to that list because the better we get with Invisalign, the more efficient we're getting. We're starting to kind of figure out more of the problems as they come up. So when things seem to start going off track, we no longer just throw up our hands into the air and, you know, get upset that things aren't working well, we kind of try and focus on why is it happening and let me fix it right away. And if you pay attention to your cases, you can definitely fix almost every problem along the way and try and ensure a nice on-time finish. Uh, refinements are part of the game, but we try and minimize those as much as possible. And the way that you could do that is closely monitoring your cases. Now, I see my patients every four to six weeks. I know it's very... Uh, cool and stylish to say that you see them every five months. You give them ten aligners at a time. But I can't stress enough how important it is to monitor these cases. These cases sometimes go by themselves, but sometimes just need a little bit of management on your part to help them through. And today's course is about the seven more things. It's good to see so many of my followers out there on the call already because I can see kind of an attendee list here on the side. And, uh, you know, those people who know the 10 things uh, that most commonly go wrong, that first one, so let's just add to that with numbers 11 to 17, I guess, theoretically. If you never heard that call, it is worth a chance to go back, and it is archived on the Alain Tech Institute. A little bit about, uh, the, obviously, the statements and views and opinions are all my own, um, and this one doesn't endorse anything I say. Uh credentials, I graduated University of Penn, so it's always good to have Penn people on. I recently became the president of the American Academy of Cosmetic Orthodontics, and that's something that I think everyone who's practicing clear liner therapy uh, as a GP should join. It will be a great support system, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, I practice in New York City. I'm actually across the street from what used to be what we call Ground Zero, or where the Twin Towers once stood. And you know, every day I try and go out and take a picture where we are, and uh, this picture is about from a month ago. This is what the new Twin Tower, now what we call the Freedom Tower, uh, is looking at. We have about 100 floors already put in, and they're starting to really look nice and take shape, and it really adds beautifully to the New York skyline, and uh, everyone in New York has quite a little bit of pride of that. If you're ever come to New York or you haven't had a chance to come see Ground Zero or the new Freedom Tower or the museum, uh, definitely worth the trip. And, of course, I'm across the street, so you can write the whole thing off as a big business tax deduction because you'll come visit me in the office. Onward. Also, in the location that I practice in New York, besides being across the street from Ground Zero, we also are right in front of Broadway. Now, Broadway, for those who don't know New York well, runs from downtown, which is where I work, uh, which is kind of the Wall Street area, through Midtown, which is kind of where the theater district is, to Uptown, which is where Columbia University is and where Seinfeld uh, lived and all his shenanigans were up there. But in the downtown area, part of Broadway, where I live uh, and work, when we have something to celebrate we have a parade down the canyon of heroes and you can hear that word used often the canyon of heroes that's where the famous world war ii um, parade went through when the man landed on the moon they come down the canyon of heroes and recently uh, in new york we had something amazing to celebrate we had our new york giant football team make a -a once-in-a-lifetime type run to the super bowl and when we uh Vanquished and won the Super Bowl. It was quite the celebration. The whole New York exploded. So you're looking at about, you know, in this picture, you're looking at about a good 2 million people that surrounded the 10 block radius around my office on that morning. And of course, uh, there are a lot of giant fans in New York. I myself am obviously one of them. Uh, At the parade, one of the giant fans really was out of control, and all the news cameras obviously were on them. I have a quick video of him to show you uh what that day was like for that giant fan the number one fan oh here we go hopefully you can see this video Uh, this is the new york giants number one fan 13 floors above the parade waving his giant foam finger screaming out the window i will now demonstrate the proper way to throw confetti actually a big art form to throwing confetti uh, if you throw it in the improper direction, it will obviously go back. The wind is very strong up there, and it will actually come back into the window. So you need a good soft toss to the right. Uh, soft toss with downward pressure to the right is the proper way to throw confetti. So if you ever find yourself in a parade situation, 13 floors above 2 million people, you'll take that as no. Enough joking. Let's get to serious business here. Seven more things that can go wrong. I've listed them through one to seven. Number one, uh, attachments falling off during treatment. Number two, IPR on mobile teeth. Number three, occlusal interferences. That's a real big one, and I'm gonna really kind of harp on that. Number four is third molar super eruption. Five is ClinCheck programming, and it always amazes me how we still see some ClinCheck that are programmed for some uh, dentists out there that are really just things that are quite impossible, both orthodontically and with Invisalign. You always wanna make sure that you check your clinchecks to see that they're kind of programmed nicely. Number six, now I've been screaming this since the beginning of the summit last year in 2011, but my new stance in the world is that the most unpredictable Invisalign movement is anterior intrusions, the way that they're currently programmed into the Invisalign ClinCheck can lead to all sorts of problems, and I want to teach everybody on the call to, number one, look for anterior intrusions being programmed into their ClinCheck. And if you do have some anterior intrusions, how you're going to get them done. And I'm going to give you about three or four tips on that. And number seven, the hottest topic of the year, the thing that everyone is talking about is all these DoshGon posterior open bites that we seem to be seeing at the end of Invisalign cases across the nation. And probably a week doesn't go by that I don't get an email from someone somewhere in the country who is freaking out that they have a posterior open bite at the end of the Invisalign case and they don't know what to do. So the important message in all of this is that Invisalign is like any other part of dentistry. And Nothing is automatic, and just a little bit of work on your side can keep the Invisalign teeth going beautifully in the correct position. I have, over about, I have just about over 700 cases at this point, and the reason I'm so committed to Invisalign is because I've learned the process, and I don't take anything for granted, and just a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of work or workmanship can keep your cases running beautifully and smoothly. So all these problems, believe it or not, the way that I found out about them is because they happened to me. And after having it happen to you a couple of times, you kind of figure out a trick and you avoid it the next time. And that's what I really want to do with everybody on the call. I want to show you these seven things that can happen, how to avoid them, and if they do happen to you, how to treat them so that all your cases run smoothly. You know, when we cut PFM crowns, everyone on the call is, I think, a GP and when we cut regular PFM crowns, you know, I would say about once every three months I get a crown back that slides right in. I mean, with nothing to touch it. Don't touch the measles. It just slides in like a glove. You just drop some cement and boom, it's in. And about 80% of the time, I just do a little bit of adjustment to the contacts a little bit to make them a little smoother. I'll maybe always adjust the occlusion, you know, get that high spot out so it's comfortable. And then we just cement it in and put it in. And then once in a while, I'll get one that just I, I just can't see it at all. The margins are off of this and that. So Invisalign is very much like that 80%. Most, sometimes you'll get an Invisalign case. You don't have to do anything. Just put it in and wake it work. But most of the time, 80% of the time, you'll do a couple of things during the treatment to make sure it stays on track and to keep it running smoothly. And that's what this course is about. Okay. The number one thing to remember in all of this is to relax. Everything that's happening to you in your practice or with your case, if you have a case that's starting to go a little haywire or starting to go off, has definitely happened multiple times to somebody else, uh, and there is always a solution. And obviously you can obviously, your imagination can tell you what is happening to this poor soul here in the graphic uh, with something that is going through him. Uh, I don't want to say the word, but that is not happening to you with Invisalign. I have the solution to help you out. This presentation is going to show you seven common things that happen and when they happen to you, you are going to remember to relax and let's troubleshoot. So let's go to problem number 1. Problem number 1 is fairly common and that is someone says, "My attachment fell off in the middle of treatment." Now, what do you do if your attachment fell off in the middle of treatment? So Number one, the most important thing to remember is that a lot of times you cannot just simply go through the case with the attachment not on. There are certain movements, especially now that we're using the G3 and G4 attachments, that flat out will not happen unless you have your attachment on the tooth. So if you're trying to rotate a canine and your canine attachment fell off, It's not like if you're a great dentist or your person has 100% compliance that it's going to move anyway. It flat out won't go. It will not move. If you're trying to extrude a tooth and your attachment breaks off mid-treatment, you cannot wish it to extrude. If you don't have the attachment, the tooth will not extrude. So if your attachment breaks off mid-treatment, I highly recommend that you replace it. Now, replacing it sort of depends on what type of attachment it was. If it was what we call a conventional attachment, which is those long rectangular shapes, either vertical or horizontal, then what the system is, is you usually go back to the previous aligner, use that as your template, and you replace the attachment. So normal scenario, patient comes in for aligner number seven, that we're supposed to put on today. Everything's going smoothly, but we know, realize that an attachment just broke off or just broke off the other day. What we'll do is we'll use the patient's number six aligner that they came in with as the template. We'll put the composite into that, and then we'll put that in the arch on the teeth, cure it, pull it off, polish off the excess, and then we'll go ahead and continue with number seven grabbing that attachment. So that's if the attachment is the conventional attachments, which are those horizontal and vertical rectangles. But what if your attachment is what we call one of the optimized attachments? Customized attachments are the breakthroughs in technology that Invisalign has been introducing over the last two years, and they sort of look like this teardrop that you see on the canine here, or this kind of beveled skateboard ramp, I call it, on the lateral, or now with the G5, uh, G4 ones, you have these little spikes that come out on the corners of centrals and laterals, or on canines. I call them spikes, so I have my teardrops, my skateboard ramps and my spikes. Those are not the clinical terms. Those are just my references to them. If you have one of those, it's important to note that you cannot use the previous aligner to place that attachment back. Not like some people do, some people don't. It is 100% incorrect to use the previous aligner to put that back, because the shape within the Invisalign attachment in the aligner is different than the shape that's in the template. Now, in the conventional attachments, the shape within the template is exactly the same as the shape in the aligner, just it's in different positions. But in the template, it's sort of a smart force feature where the shape within the template is actually different than the shape that you find in the aligner. So when the aligner goes on, it grabs the attachment in such a way that it activates it and starts moving it. So you want to make sure that you are careful to note that when an optimized attachment breaks off, the technique is to call Invisalign, 1-888-82-ALIGN, and they will send you a replacement template for whatever stage you need for free. And it will be in your office within about three to five days, I guess, depending on where you're calling from. But that is the only way that makes sense to replace an attachment that breaks off. And again, we noted, you know, when, when people say, ah, maybe I'll just go through the rest of the treatment without it. You know, you can if you want, but you were risking not getting a predictable movement on the tooth that lost the attachment, especially if it's one of those optimized attachments. So to review, if your attachment is conventional, we usually use the previous aligner to replace it. If your attachment is optimized, the correct technique is to call Invisalign ask them for a template for Stage 7, and they will send it to you. Now, I used to have quite a bit of attachments breaking off, and recently, I would say for about the last nine to ten months, I've almost had maybe one or two attachments breaking off. And one of the big changes that I made, and I apologize if this is very, very obvious to everyone in the world, was that you have to etch the tooth beforehand, no matter what. Notice, I used to use a bonding agent known as ClearFill CE. I think it's like the number one or number two body agent. So if you come to me for a filling, I'll use ClearFill CE to replace to place that filling. Now, with those of us who use ClearFill CE, and I'm sure there are tons of people on the call, uh, I just can't see your hands at the moment, we know that the ClearFill CE is a self-etch system, meaning you don't use etch, you, it's built into the primer. So when I started putting Invisalign attachments, I use my regular bonding agent, which is the Clear fill CE, and we would have a certain percentage that broke off every now and then. Then I realized that although I don't use a regular etch when I use Clear fill CE, that's always because that's on cut enamel or cut dentin. However, when you're placing Invisalign attachments onto uncut enamel, the bond strength is greatly enhanced if you can etch beforehand, even if you're using a self-etching system. So nowadays, I've changed over my technique a little bit, so now I etch all the teeth first, and then I also changed over my bonding agents to the one that Invisalign recommends, which is the G-Bond, mostly because it's a one-step rather than my clear field, which was a two-step. And I see now that when I etch, I use the G-bond, and I use my uh, composite attachment material, I almost have nothing breaking off. And last year at this time, I kind of had a percentage that broke off and I would have to address. But if you etch it, use the G-bond, and put the composite on, you're going to have a very very strong bond, and I feel like you'll have those attachments on, and you won't even have to worry about how to put it back on if it breaks off. So uh, again, I apologize if that's obvious to everyone, but if you were like me and you were using a self-etching system, I would highly recommend um, that you, even if you use that self-etching system, I would highly recommend that you first etch it before you go. Let's go to the solution for number one. So I just want to review the number one problem that we were going to talk about today was attachments that break off during treatment, and we want to maximize the bond strength early on so that we don't have that happen, and number one way I found to do that is to etch enamel for a good 10 to 15 seconds before you put on the bonding agent, and I do also recommend now to use the G-bond, which is, I think, made by densiply, For uh, the bonding agent, it seems to stick much better Uh, and we seem to have a better bond with it. And that, again, is the one that Invisalign bench tested and um, recommends. If your attachment breaks off, then we're going to look back at that attachment and try to figure out if it's a standard attachment or if it's an optimized attachment. If it's a standard attachment, then you want to use the previous aligner to put it back. If it's an optimized attachment, you want to call Invisalign and ask them for a template. Problem number two. My tooth movement has slowed or stopped. How many people raise their hand if your tooth movement, you ever had a case where one of the teeth has slowed or stopped? Excellent. I see about half the call raising their hands. So what do you do? So let's look at a couple of situations. So here's a patient of mine um, where we're at about a 20 aligner case. This case started off with about massive amount of severe lower crowding. And right here, we're about stage 17. And although everything's looking real good, almost everything is lined up except for number 24, the problem that I'm having with this case is in the ClinCheck at stage 17, although all the other crowding, the premolars, the canines, those are all looking good, and the other laterals and centrals looking good, that number 24 on the ClinCheck is supposed to be much further into the arch than it appears here. And I'm starting to get nervous because although the Invisalign's sort of gripping well, It doesn't seem like it's moving into the arch the way that I want to. And obviously, I just want to make the quick note that um, my number one monitoring technique, if you get to a situation like that, is we're going to assume that there's some sort of collision between the teeth. And the method for checking a collision would be to floss, in these areas and see if the floss passes in or out. And if the floss is very tight, then you want to do a little bit of IPR so that these teeth can slide by each other. Again, it's important to note, remember the IPR amounts that we do are tenths of a millimeter. I don't want anybody on the call to think, that IPR is going to get this tooth into position. If you were trying to think, I'm going to use IPR to get this tooth in position, you'd be cutting about 3 millimeters off of the tooth. The way this tooth gets into position is that it slides in, and the teeth around it are proclining out, as well as the premolars continue to expand out. Okay? There's no human way to do IPR so that this tooth fits in. That would be cutting 3 millimeters, and we cut 0.3 millimeters millimeters on a PR. So again, recognize what's happening in this case is the other anterior teeth are proclining, the premolars are expanding, and this number 24 is rotating in. As such, we're checking the context, and when I run the floss in here, it passes relatively easily. And I'm just kind of thinking, you know, why is this tooth being so stubborn? Why is it not moving in? Why am I not getting these teeth moving out? And then I start to think about something very common, That is, as you get later in the case, the teeth start to get a little bit mobile, meaning they start to move around a little bit. So when you try and assess whether this contact is tight or not, the tooth, in the time that it took you to take the Invisalign tray off and floss it, has flexed slightly to the buckle. And when it flexes slightly to the buckle like that, when you floss it, all of a sudden you get an open contact, although when the Invisalign goes on, and pushes the tooth in, there's a slight tenth of a millimeter collision between those two teeth that prevent number 24 from moving to the lingual and number 25 from moving to the buccal. So we brainstorm. I learned this from my mentor, Dr. David Gates. We take out a good old friend known as the amalgam condenser, find whatever dusty draw it's in, and what you want to do in this situation is you want to push on the Invisalign tooth the same way that the Invisalign is pushing on the teeth. And while you're pushing on the teeth, you're gonna take your other hand and have your assistant go and floss those two teeth. And when she flosses or you floss those two teeth, all of a sudden you get a very different reading than the one that you have previously. In other words, without the pressure Without the Invisalign tray on, the tooth flexes slightly, and when you try and get an IPR reading, you can't get anything. And obviously, if the contact doesn't, is open, it would be silly to IPR. But when you simulate the effects of the Invisalign tray by pushing on the tooth with an amalgam condenser, all of a sudden you get a very different reading. The floss is kind of shredding or snapping between the two teeth. So if this should happen to you, you want to employ a technique that we call IPR condensation, condensation IPR, meaning doing the IPR as you're pressing on the teeth. And this will obviously make it a lot smoother because you are really recreating the effect. So here's one of my IPR tools for those of gallery spacing technique people out there. And it's nice to have uh, so many of you on the call that I could see here on the side. But for my followers, when we will press, so in the IPR condensation, what we'll do is we'll have one person holding the amalgam condenser pushing on the tooth, we'll have another person doing the IPR at the same time. We'll have one person holding a lip retractor and then one person holding a camera, and then I'm giving instructions to everybody. No, I'm just kidding. You just need two people, one person pressing on the tooth with an amalgam condenser and another person doing IPR. So you're simulating the effects. So that's one way to do it. We're going to do the other tooth, again, with a 25 going buckle. We'll do press on it and do some IPR. That's my other IPR tool that we call the Strip. And if you do this correctly with the proper orientation, hopefully you will have this case done on time. And hopefully you can see on your screen that number 24 moved into the arch very nicely. I have a beautiful arch form here as number 25 moving buckle, and the case is done at a line of 20. But the jump in logic was understanding that the reason why the tooth wasn't moving is because there was an ever-so-slight tenth-of-a-millimeter collision happening between the teeth. And it's your job as a dentist, the treating dentist, to constantly monitor the friction and collisions between the teeth. If the teeth are colliding, um, then you're not going to get the teeth sliding by each other. And just to review, IPR, which is my favorite topic uh, and what I'm probably most known for within the Invisalign world, um, a lot of people employ a high-speed burr, and thankfully those people are becoming less and less. Uh, kind of takes a real jump in faith to try and take a virgin tooth and cut it, interproximally with a high-speed burr. Um, Then we have our pizza cutter people. Uh, Those are the people who use the discs. Again, a pretty big jump in logic to try and take a tooth and cut it interproximally. Even those people who want to say that they're following Sheridan's technique, uh, Dr. Jack Sheridan, the inventor of air rotor stripping, should go back and read the book and note that Dr. Sheridan never cut between teeth that were touching with a disc, when he used to do his air rotor stripping, or his ARS, he would first use a spacer between the teeth. So if you're out there and you're using a high speeder or a disc, please know that the dentistry that you are practicing is a complete invention within the last 10 years. Nobody in the history of the world prior to 10 years ago would ever take, rightfully so, or publish, taking a high speed or a disc in between teeth that were touching and do IPR. They would first use a spacer, and push those teeth apart, and then cut the interproximal walls. Obviously, you can't use a spacer with Invisalign. It would throw off all the dimensions in your ClinCheck. That's why I am more of the theory that I like my followers to use a finishing strip, which uh, you know certainly facilitates the outing, but it's quite slow. So I obviously love the GST, or the Galler Spacing Technique, which is where we estimate about 3,500 dentists in the country use my technique as their Invisalign Uh, technique for IPR, and I made a quick little video, uh, just a promotional video uh, about the current status of IPR in the country, and let's see if I can play that for you. video, hopefully, that you guys saw. But the message is true, and that's the one I'm a firm believer in and that I really don't like uh, when I hear that people are using high speeds and disc. I think you're creating more problems than you're solving. And you open up such a Pandora's box of problems in terms of how you're making the teeth look at the end and ledging and cutting too much space and then adding virtual sea change to close the space. It would be easier if you just employed an easier technique, and me, uh, my followers and uh, myself have have really enjoyed the IPR that we do with Invisalign, which you don't hear from much people. Uh, Once you're using the gallery spacing technique, it's basically using two kind of hand saws that create space to an exact measurement. So when the computer says, give me 0.3, boom, I give you 0.3. It is extremely accurate and predictable, and the way that it's taught is mostly through Invisalign events, and we have an Invisalign event probably every month uh, pretty much in every city in the country. Uh, The events can be seen on www.drdavidgallard.com. Coming up, we have one in May, June, and July. In May, we have one in St. Louis, Missouri. In June, we have one in Rochester and in I think in June uh, we also have one in San Francisco. Uh, you could check with your local Invisalign rep for the next course that's near you, or you can come travel to one of the others. It's pretty a good hands-on three-hour course where we kind of go through the A, Bs, and Cs of IPR. And uh, I've been told it's pretty much a game changer. Once we can get your IPR game, you know, to a pretty good level, a lot of Invisalign becomes very, very easy. And uh, the way that you can check those Invisalign courses uh, nationally are – my website, and it's free for anybody to go to the website and check it out. And you can sign up and register. But let's come back to... Solution number two, so when the teeth are mobile, sometimes if you have one tooth that doesn't seem like it's moving and it's being very stubborn, I would go ahead and floss it first. And if it flosses very tight, I would go back and do some IRPR. But even if it flosses light, I would go back, and you're convinced that it should be moving, the compliance is good, the attachments are good, I would go back and push on that tooth with a slight amalgam condenser and then floss it while you are condensing it and see what the contact is like that because there you're really simulating what is happening when the invisible line is on it. And it goes along with something that I call the frictional path of movement theory, meaning for a clear line of therapy to work, there have to be like these lanes for the teeth to drive through. And as long as you have these lanes for the teeth to drive through, you're going to be in good shape. And you always want to create those lanes with IPR. Obviously, it requires two people. So that's number two. Number three is the one that I am announcing for the first time. Um, Seems very obvious. when, once you hear it, but a lot of people miss it, and I certainly missed it a few times. If you have a case where there's one tooth that absolutely refuses to move into final position, where you've, compliance is not a problem, IPR is not a problem, the attachments are good, and this just one tooth just doesn't want to get into it, let's take a look at the reason why. So here's a case of mine. This is the original crowding and you can see it's a kind of a lower-moderate, I will call this moderate-crowding Invisalign case, and patient wears the Invisalign, everything's going well, and then we come across the end of the original, and I would say that that grades at about an 85-90 on a scale of 1 to 100 of success for the original crowding, and we're going to go back and do a refinement from this stage. So picture number two is how we started the first refinement, and we're going to go ahead and do a refinement, and we get to stage Now the picture on the right is the end of the first refinement. So again, the picture on the left is the original case. The picture in the middle is the end of the first round. And the picture on the right is at the end of, I'm sorry, the picture on the left is the original. Picture on the middle is after the first after the first round. And the picture on the right is after the first refinement. Or the second round, we'll call it. And you can see we have just about 98% success, but gosh darn, that number 26 does not want to move into right position, and it doesn't make any sense. Why should that one tooth be so hesitant to get into the position? Obviously, the patient's compliant. You know, he's had good results, and, you know, even if we lost a little bit and we wanted to get it, we lost a little bit on number 23. We got it in the first refinement. But at the beginning of the second refinement, I am totally baffled as to why number 26 will not move into the correct position. The contacts are fine. The attachments are fine. And what we do in our last moment of despair is we look at the opposing tooth. And sure enough, I look at the opposing number eight and we see that it has quite a giant marginal ridge. An anatomically incorrect, um, I think in this case it was a Mad Maid because he had a filling there, a very, very, very large obtrusive marginal ridge. Now, when the patient bites down, what's happening is that that huge marginal ridge is pressing on number 26 and preventing it from moving to its final Invisalign position. It doesn't matter how many checks I have and how many checks show that that tooth moves forward and the Invisalign is trying to move it. Even if the Invisalign moves it, the second this guy takes out his Invisalign tray and bites down for a second, that marginal ridge bangs against the incisal edge of number 26 and moves it ever so slightly to the lingual. And even though we've done every single thing right in the Invisalign, this occlusal interference is, you know, kind of preventing this case from going to finish. So if you have a tooth that doesn't seem like it can get to the right spot, no matter everything that you're throwing at it, Number three thing I want you to look at after we've gone through the other ones is go look and see what's doing in the other arch. And you might find that there's an occlusal interference preventing that tooth from moving into the correct position. And obviously, you have to always remember that Invisalign, at the end of the day, is a removable appliance. And even though in braces, fixed brackets world, you could possibly get that tooth to move out by, you know, a real strong night-tie wire and that will maybe cause the upper tooth to flare out of the leg or something or or at least to have an anterior interference that it's sitting on in the Invisalign world when you take out the appliance and the patient bites down, the forces of their upper jaw against the lower jaw will prevent the final movements of those lower teeth in certain cases. So you always want to check for occlusal interferences during treatment. And if you notice that there's an occlusal interference in the anterior or I guess in the posterior that's preventing the movement of your tooth, then especially at the end of the case, you've got to equilibrate, or otherwise you're never going to get to that right spot, or you're going to have to reprogram the clinch check. Also I've noted once or twice, you could see this number here, check attachment interferences. Every now and then I put on attachments, you know, trying to be overly protective. And in my foolishness, i put an attachment into a spot where it prevented the other arch from moving into its position. Every time the upper, let's say, central incisor wanted to lingually incline, it couldn't because it was banging against the canine uh, that I had on the lower arch. So you just want to watch for those attachment experiences. And please remember that Invisalign is a removal appliance, and even the world's greatest, best patients will at times sometimes take them out and bite down, and their bite will be, be a force acting against you. Let's move on to number four. Everyone take a quick stretch. We're about halfway through. What happens if there are no teeth in occlusion at the end of treatment? Meaning everything is straight, but there are no teeth touching or no visible teeth touching. And this is kind of a bad day at the office. So this was a large spacing case that we had. Patients can generally missing their lateral on the right side. And what we did is we closed a lot of the space and rotated some stuff so that we can you know, kind of put that canine into a lateral position, and we're going to probably do like a little Maryland bridge in that area, but that's not what I want you to focus on. What I'm focusing on is that the patient's biting down at the end of treatment, and they don't seem to be biting on any of their teeth, and they started with a fairly okay occlusion, you know, albeit with some spacing on the top and crowding on the bottom, but right now we have no occlusion, no teeth seem to be hitting, everything is open, and this is frightening, my friends. This is when patients, you know, you start to notice this at the treatment, you know, panic panic buttons and bells are going off all over the place, but why could something like this happen? Well, it's very simple. A lot of times you take an impression and you send it to Invisalign, and they'll send you back a ClinCheck, and in the ClinCheck there's a slight note saying, oh, because of your, you know, your uncaptured third molar, we decided to cut off the third molar and we trimmed the distal of the second molar to make it fit. Uh, Invisalign tries as hard as they can not to reject your impressions, and a lot of times, especially recently, they seem to have taken up uh, the practice of if you send them an impression where the third molar or second molar is looking a little... Um weird, instead of making you retake it, they'll just cut it or trim the tray. And a lot of times, it's not a big deal. Cases work fine if the distal or the second molar is trimmed. But if you have a situation like this where I had a number 16, the patient's arch had a number 16, but my impression wasn't good enough, and Invisalign cut the number 16 off, and as well, they cut the number 15 off. And although the treatment goes fine, the problem is is that while that number 16 is not covered, and the plastic of the upper and lower arch disarticulates the person during treatment, and the number 16 is not covered, guess what that number 16 does during these 10, 12 months? It starts looking for an antagonist in the opposite arch, and when it starts dropping down, until it hits, let's say, the lower plastic, the lower Invisalign plastic, or the lower uh, tooth, then when you take off the Invisalign, so during treatment, you don't notice it as much, but then you take off the Invisalign, and you tell your patient to bite down, and that number 16, is the only tooth that's in inclusion because it had super erupted during treatment and now it's the only tooth that is touching. And that's obviously a problem if you have your patient bite down and you see this huge open bite that wasn't there previously. Now, the teeth are aligning; Everybody's happy because it looks straight, but the issue here is that the only tooth including is the number 16, so this is obviously a problem. You can obviously try and address this early, meaning make sure you capture all your third molars in impressions or extract them prior to treatment. Um, But if you see an Invisalign, especially these spacing cases where you are cut off a molar at the end, you can be sure that molar is going to super erupt during treatment, and at the end, you're going to be left with a little bit of a problem on your hands. Obviously, a big solution now that Invisalign and iTero have joined forces is if you buy an iTero scanner, you can scan in your patient's teeth, and you can at least see if you have your wisdom tooth or not. You know, you'll know going into the case, hey, I can capture this wisdom tooth, or no, I can't. And, you know, there won't be as much of this. Just send an impression to Invisalign, and then lo and behold, your ClinCheck comes back and it's missing its third molar. So that is solution number four, if you ever find a case at the end where none of your your teeth, are in occlusion, I would go back and see if one of your teeth had super erupted, possibly they weren't covered fully with the Invisalign tray, and they super erupted while the case was going on, and now you're left with an open occlusion. Problem number five, do I need to check or modify the ClinCheck? And this question always shocks me, and not that I'm one of these speakers who says, oh, always go back and modify, always go back and check, and never accept the first Invisalign ClinCheck. I make them go through it ten times. I don't do that, but I definitely go and check certain critical things in the Invisalign. And, you know, there's no shortcuts in life as the people who try and make these um, signs or say, it says, quit stealing our letters Uh, somebody who had all their letters for this sign stolen. A little joke, but, you know, it's important to recognize. There are certain movements that I'd like the country to pretty much stop doing with Invisalign. Let's take a look at this program. And you can kind of see it, hopefully, scrolling across your screen. And you see all these teeth just distalizing back all dandy, trying to correct a class two DIV2 molar situation and going. But look at how crazy this is. The number two molar is not even fully covered with Invisalign, and you're expecting the three-rooted molar tooth that is barely even covered with Invisalign, you see how it's cut in the Invisalign tray, doesn't have an attachment on it, and you're expecting that three-molar rooted tooth to go five millimeters backwards. This movement will absolutely not happen, folks, and once that back number two doesn't The number three is certainly not going to distalize as well. And then you can't distalize number four, five, six, and seven. Although it looks great on the computer, this will absolutely not happen. This is beyond the limits of Invisalign the way that it's currently programmed. If anything, you should at least be covering number two all the way. Or you should have an attachment on it, probably use elastics in a case like this, or use something that they call a TAD, a temporary anchorage device, which is a small screw that they would put in to help you distalize the tooth. But if you get a ClinCheck coming back with massive distalizations or massive mesializations like this, just please note that this is probably not going to happen and will be a source of frustration for you all the way through. So that is in terms of massive mesial or distal movements without the proper setup are going to give you a big headache. Let's take a look at a clinch check. Um, I want to show you the before modification and then the after modification. This is fairly common. And this patient is actually um, the wife of my old rep, Phil Carlino. If he's out there, a little shout out to Phil. But it, it demonstrates an important point. So this patient, uh, Phil's wife, uh, wanted to have a little bit of crowd fixed in her upper arch, and I'm just going to play this forever, so everyone's looking at the upper arch. I'm going to take off the attachment so we can see it nice and clearly. She has a little bit of crowding, and here's how the check plays. And that looks fairly good. You know, 11 aligners have a nice kind of take what looks like more of like a box-shaped arch and make it more into a arch-shaped arch, uh, so to speak, a little bit better circumferential arch form, and that looks really nicely, but wait a second take a look at what we've done. Here we start with a person who has you know, maybe one to two millimeters of overjet, a normal overjet, I would say, maybe a little bit big overjet on the right side. And look at what we've done to this person with Invisalign. Whoa, what have we done, Sherlock? Look at this. We've taken a person who had a normal ability to chew with their front teeth, and in our efforts to give them a more cosmetic smile and to rotate number 10 into the arch, we've given them a complete open bite in the front. And now a patient comes back and like, "Hey, Dr. Galler, I haven't trouble my teeth look beautiful, but I have trouble chewing apples." with my front teeth. What do you think is going on? And you look back at this, you're like, whoa, this is not good. This is not good dentistry. This is not a good treatment plan. So we're going to go back and we're going to modify that ClinCheck, and we're going to say to Invisalign something as simple as, I need to keep the overjet to one to two millimeters. Now, I know the answer is going to be something very simple. Hey, Dr. Gallo, well, if you want to do that, we're going to need some IPR. And because we have an IPR system that we're confident in, you know, it's going to be no problem. So we're going to drop a couple of .5s distal to those canines right then and there, and let's just take a quick look and see how the same person with almost the same aligners, we're going to add about four aligners. This is her before, and this is her after. The cosmetics from the front are exactly the same, But the overjet here is something that you can sleep with much better at night as opposed to the overjet that we had at the beginning. So I would kind of stress to everybody that I'd really like everyone to pay attention to overjets in their Invisalign cases. And you ideally want between a 1 to 2 millimeter overjet in your cases to end with. You don't. Necessarily want that nested tight look because sometimes that leads to an anterior interference, but you want that nice overture. Now the difference between ClinCheck One and ClinCheck Two was IPR. So I know that there are people out there, uh, certainly among our speaker faculty, uh, my my colleagues and friends, who promote no IPR, never, ever, 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 and. You know, although there are many ways to skin the cat, and I'm the first one to tell you that, I would warn that you are going to create possibly some problems if you don't have the ability to do IPR. Um, And that case was a classic example of somebody who had um, been programmed like a robot, never IPR, never IPR. So the technician said, fine, never IPR. Well, this is what you get. And when you look at that, it's kind of frightening, and you have to go back and realize, okay, well, I want to correct this crowding in the way that I have to do it is with a little bit of IPR. So solution number five, in terms of modifying X, what you're looking for nowadays, I always try and look for those mesializations, those crazy distalizations without the proper forces or attachments or elastics, and you always want to look at that final overjet and make sure it's something that you as dentists are comfortable with. All right, we've got about 15 minutes left for number six and seven. Um, Fifteen minutes should be about enough time, and then we'll take some questions. So hang on there for me. Six and seven are a little bit intense. Here we go. Number six, common complaint, my deep bite case shows no progress. You know, Meaning you thought you're doing really, really great, and you sent in this deep bite case to Invisalign, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. What is going on with that? So I would like to scream from the rooftops of I have for the last year, and hopefully this is spreading across Invisalign Nation so that the protocol changes. But the anterior intrusions in the ClinChex, I believe right now, are extremely exaggerated and unrealistic, and their failure is causing a lot of problems. You know, Every year in Invisalign, we try and tackle something. A couple of years ago, with the upper laterals we were having problems with, now we're doing much better with them. Then we had problems with the canine rotations, now we're doing better with them. Over the last year with G4, we used to worry about extrusions. Now, I think I can regularly extrude anterior teeth and posterior teeth, about two to three millimeters, given the new G4 attachments and the new protocols that they put in. But I think the anterior intrusions still fly under the radar, and people don't realize that the anterior intrusions, the way that they're currently programmed into ClinCheck, are too fast, too much, and unrealistic. Now, if you don't get the anterior intrusion done, but the rest of the case works, what's going to happen at the end is the patient's going to bite down, and they're going to have a little bit of a posterior open bite, because there's going to be an anterior interference. If they're expecting number 24 to drop into the socket about a millimeter or two, and it doesn't, then at the end of the case, even if everything is straight, number 24 is going to be a little too high, and the ClinCheck thinks it's lower. So when the patient bites down in reality, they're going to be smashing onto the incisal edge of number 24, and that will lead to a posterior open bite, which is something we're going to talk about in four minutes. So I want to show you two quick ClinChecks of patients of mine. This is Leah is number one, and she comes in with about 120, 30% overbite. Let's take a look at Leah. And, you know, she wants Invisalign, and she doesn't want anything else, and we're the last stop on the road. So this, I would call about 140 150% overbite. I was like, brilliant, let's do Invisalign. I send it to Invisalign, and here's what we get back. Can you see that amount of anterior intrusion? For those keeping score at home, that's about 14 millimeters of anterior intrusion. I mean, look at what we're trying to do with the Invisalign. This, my friends, will not happen. Even your most liberal orthodontist with a device that, but you can see how that much, even the most liberal orthodontist in the world will tell you that that amount of intrusion is impossible with the most craziest device that ties around your head and all the way around your waist with weights attached. Certainly with an aligner therapy device, clear one, that kind of comes on and off for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you cannot achieve that type of intrusion the way it's currently programmed. That's one type of case. Let's take a look at an even more common type of case where you have mandibular crowding uh, in the anterior intrusion program. So this is a transfer case that I took from a different dentist in Manhattan and couldn't understand why I had to take it over until I got about into it. So I took it over at about case number aligner number one or two, and here's how the patient presented. So everyone can see he's got the lower crowding there. And what we're going to do is we're going to solve the crowding. So there's a little bit of proclination, a little bit of inclination, and you go from crowding to solved. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, all right, you know, that's pretty doable. I could do this case. No big deal. A little bit fast. Nine aligners are a little bit fast for something like this. But I figure that's no big deal. I could do this. Start getting into the case aligner. One, two, three. I don't see any movement. Four, five, six, nothing. Seven. I'm like, we haven't even moved any of these anterior teeth at all. Maybe a half a millimeter. Nothing. They still look exactly like a liner number one. I'm like, well, why isn't this case working at all? The maxillary teeth are working just fine. So I go back and I look from the anterior image and look at what the technician programmed into this ClinCheck. Look at the anterior intrusion of all six anterior teeth. Although it looks beautiful, you cannot take a plastic removable device and hope to jam six teeth, about four millimeters, into the socket at the same time in about three months. Now, pay attention. The failure of the anterior intrusion as programmed, because it's impossible, prevented the crowding from getting solved because once the trays weren't fitting because they couldn't get the anterior intrusion done then you couldn't get anything else done so all of a sudden i had to go to refinement and reprogram it really i should probably call it a mid-course correction and i have to reprogram it to say let's do the anterior crowding first and then then we'll solve the intrusion. now how do you do the intrusions? Well, I said that they're hard the way that they're programmed, but there is a very logical way to do it. Number one, you want to put attachments onto all those posterior teeth so that you can hold much better. Number two, you want to do something called bite ramps on the lingual of the central incisors. That is something that will help intrude the teeth, and I'll show a picture of that in a second. And number three, you want to try and intrude one tooth at a time, and I've had tremendous success with this over the last 10 months, uh, specifically number three. So let's go through those. Here's what happens. This is Leah. We're looking at her from the left lateral side. You can see that her has deep, she has a very deep bite. And what the invisible line is doing is it's going off and it's pushing those anterior teeth up. But what's happening For in reality is that the Invisalign snaps on. It's trying to push those two front teeth up, but there's so much force required that the back starts to sag. And you get to get this little bounce. Have you ever had Invisalign that you put on a patient and they bit down and they're like, oh, I feel a little bounce? And you're like, ah, get out of here. It's crazy. You're doing well. Just bite into it. What you're really seeing at that point is the Invisalign giving way and negating any effects of what you're trying to do. When the back part of the Invisalign sags or when your patient says, I feel a bounce, please note that that means that you are not getting the correct anterior forces that you want on the anterior teeth. And although sometimes you can bite it into place and hold it, that'll work a little bit, but if it's a pretty big bounce and you're just biting into it and when they come back in two weeks you don't see the bounce, that's really just the plastic expanding and and starting to come over the teeth and it just kind of slowly molds to the back teeth without creating the force. So quick solution, put these... Attachments on all the posterior teeth, on the premolars and the molars, so that the Invisalign kind of snaps on. Now it can't bounce on those posterior teeth, and the only thing you could do is get that force on the anterior teeth. If you have a deep bite like this, and it's part of the ClinCheck form to form it, I now regularly intrude one tooth at a time, and it is brilliantly successful. Okay. Now, uh, it's worth mentioning that you tell your patient, hey, by the way, one of your teeth is going to be up, one of your teeth is going to be down for a little time. You're going to look a little funny for about four to six weeks. But we have tremendous success. Apparently Invisalign is very successful at holding two guys on the sides and then pressing down on one in the middle. So you can do this, and I, he, he actually just came in this past week, uh, and right now number nine is intruded fully as well. So if you ever see a lot of intrusion, you want to kind of break that up, and obviously that will work on the upper or lower. And usually the rule of thumb is hold two one on each side, push the middle one down. Also, something called a bite ramp. These are little attachments that we put on on the linguals of the incisors. And the trick is that we don't actually fill the attachment with composite. I'm not a lingual attachment guy, so we don't actually put that into the aligner. What we do is we design it into the aligner. I'm sorry, we don't put the composite onto the teeth. What we do is we design the attachment into the aligner so that when a patient bites down with their Invisalign on, they're kind of biting against this little step on the back of the lingual incisors, and that will cause these teeth to intrude. So you're adding an extra intrusionary force. Every time they bite down with their Invisalign on, they're biting into these little ramps on the back of the incisors, that will help with your intrusion force. So to review, to get the intrusions, you want to do one tooth at a time or one tooth away from the other ones. You want to put attachments on the posterior teeth, and number three, you want to use bite ramps to your advantage. Problem number seven, the biggest problem this past year in Invisalign. If you have a posterior open bite at the end of treatment, a lot of cases are ending brilliantly, beautiful, patient's happy, everyone's happy, except at the end visit, the patient says, by the way, is it a problem that my back teeth don't touch and your heart kind of sinks a little bit, but what's Dr. Galler's main rule? Relax, we will take care of everything. Posterior open bites are very common. If you go back and even look at some of your end cases, if you look at the left lateral and right lateral photos, you'll notice, if you haven't been paying attention to it before, that you probably have a lot of posterior open bites. And it's something that happens across the board to a lot of people in Invisalign. And it doesn't matter really whether you're moving the anterior teeth or the posterior teeth. There are a couple of very obvious reasons why this happens. Number one reason why people think is that there's a natural intrusion of the posterior teeth from wearing aligners from 10 to 20 months. If you're wearing plastic over your teeth for 10 to 20 months, you get a sort of bite block effect. And the posterior teeth start to intrude. Even if you're not moving them, they will start to intrude slightly away from it. And in the braces world, when you're, you know you have the braces on the teeth, but at the end of the day, you keep biting down into the same teeth, so they kind of mold and move with you. And even then, orthodontists use something called settling. But in the Invisalign world, we're really each arch is kind of moving on its own within the device. You know, there's a natural, if you just keep biting, 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 biting down, the teeth kind of intrude away from each other. And when you take off the Invisalign and bite down, there's sometimes not that contact that you want. Number two possible cause could be an anterior interference. Again, we talked about the Invisalign. If your intrusion didn't happen 100%, then when you bite down at the end of treatment, you might notice that you're biting it a little bit one into the other. And number three, sometimes during a expansionary movement, If you're moving really fast, sometimes you can tip those molars. Let's take a quick look at that. You can kind of see in this case everything is kind of expanding. This is a nice way to solve a little bit of crowding. You see the eight and nine are overlapped, and everything is kind of moving out and expanding. And I'm in favor of expansion. I often use expansion quite a bit every day. But notice how the molars, keep your eye on number 14. Um, number three, and number 14. See how they're kind of expanding out? All right, it looks good, but what's happening in reality sometimes is what you're trying to do is you're trying to move that molar to the buckle. You're trying to translate the tooth to the buckle. But when you have a piece of plastic and you're pushing on the lingual of a three-rooted tooth with a piece of plastic without an attachment, you very often will tip that tooth up. And when you tip that tooth up, and the patient bites down at the end of treatment, the tipping up force will solve the crowding that you have. That'll work. But if you tip the tooth up, all of a sudden at the end of the case, end of the case patient bites down, and the cusp, the mesial buccal cusp of number three is no longer touching the groove on number 30 because it has been tipped out of the way. So four possible solutions for the posterior open bite. Number one. You want, if you feel, again, the solution depends on what the problem was. So if you feel you had a natural intrusion of the teeth in the posterior just from 10 to 20 months of wearing plastic and biting down day and day, the technique is to cut the distal of the tray distal uh, to the first premolar and allow the bite to kind of settle in about six weeks. Number two, if you feel like you have an anterior interference, perhaps you would think about doing some anterior equilibration to get these teeth to fit together. If you feel like you got tipping of the molars, then I might suggest that you might rethink tipping molars or expanding molars to a very, very large degree with Invisalign. A little bit of expansion is okay, but if you're gonna do a massive expansion of a molar, especially a maxillary molar, please note that without an attachment and close monitoring, it'll probably tip to the buckle. And number four, dentists sometimes just like to set up their Invisalign cases with about two millimeters or so of overjet so that they can prevent any interferences at the end. I don't personally subscribe to that, but it's worth mentioning. So let's review the seven more things that can go wrong as a sequel to the top 10 things that go wrong. Attachments falling off. I guess the the tidbit on that is just to make sure you're using, if you're using optimized attachments, to call Invisalign for the template or to make sure you X the teeth. Condensation IPR can be very valuable. Number three is really important. If you just are, are, are ripping your hair out because there's one lower tooth that's not moving into the correct position, go ahead and take a peek at the upper teeth and see if there's not a occlusal interference that's preventing that tooth from getting into its far position. Please be careful if you notice that you have in a case a third molar that's been cut off the Invisalign ClinCheck. You want to keep a good eye on that or redo the impression because we're worried about that third molar super erupting and causing uh, a complete open bite everywhere. In ClinCheck programming, please stay away from the big, big 5 to 7 millimeter distalizations of molars and the mesializations without the proper tabs, elastics, and attachments. And also take a look at your overjet at the end of the case. And even if you're a non-IPR dentist, then please note that your overjet might be compromised. Your anterior intrusions, I feel, are some of the most unpredictable movements unless you use those three tricks that we talked about. And I want everyone to start to take a look at the end of the case with some marking paper and make sure that they don't have a posterior open bite. As David mentioned, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to the Academy. I uh, recently became president of the American Academy of Cosmetic Orthodontics. It's an academy that supports general, general dentists who practice clear line of therapy, whether, uh, and this line obviously is, is the number one clear line of therapy in the world. It, uh, we have a journal, we have membership, we have plaques, we have data. Uh, we have a tons of support for our members i 've currently shut down membership uh, for right now as we overhaul the entire academy, but I will reopen membership. Uh, in about August or September, but if you want to be on the list to let me know when I reopen membership for the Academy, uh, you can email um, the secretary at info at aacortho.com, and that's on the website, www.aacortho.com. Obviously, if you're on the call today and you're taking time out of your busy day, you are engaged in clear line of therapy as a GP, most likely, and I want to be your support system, both through Invisalign and uh, as your president of the AACO. Um, last but not least, thank you to Invisalign and Intero. Thank you for joining us.
0: Dr. Galler, thank you so much for a wonderful presentation, and we look forward to seeing you on another ASCI Expert program. Thanks very much.